fall of 2020, I had an opportunity to listen in on an interview that a colleague of mine conducted with Maymay Hu, then co-founder and co-CEO of a company called Kovax, which had literally just formed up at the time in response to, as its name implies, the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the business of biotech podcast was just getting its feet wet back then, but I was super intrigued by the story of how and why Maymay jumped into action as a giant global health emergency was just beginning to unfold. And I took a note to get her on the show. I'm not sure why it took us almost a year and a half, two years to do it, uh, but here we are. So on today's show, we're going to get to know May May and learn about the work she's doing at Vaccinity and hopefully get some insight into what inspired her into serial biopharma entrepreneurship after earning a Penn undergrad, a Harvard JD, and earning a few stripes at McKinsey. Since then, May May has gone into full entrepreneur mode. She's a member of the executive, executive committee of United Biomedical. She oversaw the launch of one of the first endobody vaccines in the world. And with Vaccinity's IPO on NASDAQ last year, I believe, she's now spun out five new companies. May May, I am super pleased, as I said, to finally have you on the show. Matt, it's great to be here. Excited for this conversation. Yeah, me too. So um, I want to, so typically when I, when I do one of these things, like we spend, I don't know, the first five, 10, 15 minutes kind of learning about the inspiration, the backstory, you know, what, what brought May May to this current place and time. Um, but I want to do that a little bit later. I want to sh shuffle things around a little bit here today because I'm, I'm, I think the most intriguing uh, thing that strikes me about vaccinity uh, right now, and that's where I want to start in the here and now, are some of the words that the company uses to convey its mission and, and the work that it's doing. Um, and, and, and I want to kind of have a philosophical discussion about those words with you, Maymay, if we can, uh, because I see words like democratization and, and revolution, right? And straight from the top, I, I want to, let, let's start with democratization. It's not the first time I've seen it, but somehow, I don't know, you guys must have a really crack marketing team because somehow the words and the, and the text that I read about your approach to democratization uh, on, on Vaccinated's website make me believe that it's more than just a public relations platitude or a piece of, you know, marketing, marketing hype. Um, it's a no, it, democratization is, is something we see all the time. It's a noble, it's a form, formidable challenge. Uh, but to my point, the words kind of been co-opted, right? To the point that it, it, it's, it's abused. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. What is, what is the, and I'm not asking you to justify the use of the word. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I just, I, I want to start by understanding what democratization means to vaccinity and why it is so central to the mission and the work going on there. Uh, so it's our North star, right? It's not a marketing ploy. Um, I, we talked about it before I, uh, started. Um, you know, I don't have a LinkedIn page, so we're not very good at marketing and, and hyping, but um, it's the essence of, of who we are in our, our business model. Uh, you know, democratization, what does it mean? It means taking something that uh, is otherwise only available to a select few and making it available to everyone, right? It's the democratization of vote, the, the democratization of books through the printing press, um, the democratization of cars through Ford's Model T. Um, what we're trying to do is democratize and make one of the most successful class of drugs, um, biologics that are currently only available to about 1% of the world's population and make it accessible, affordable, convenient, um, effectively available to everyone. That's the essence. And um, why can we do it or why do we believe we can do it? It's all based on technology. So. Mm -hmm. I think the core for innovative and exponential technology is the ability to democratize whatever it is that, that it's, it's working on. Um, and we're just fortunate that we have a, a technology platform that we believe can do that. Yeah. Um, when, when you say it's your North Star, and, and I want to talk a little bit about sort of like when at, at form up, and, and maybe this will get into the backstory. I warned you, May May, that I, I'm a nonlinear thinker and we probably bounce around a lot. So I'm going to let you kind of direct okay. where, to, where to start with the response to this question. But when a company forms up, um, and I know that vaccinity is sort of the product of, of some evolutionary activity, right, from, uh, from, from years ago. Uh, so maybe you can, maybe you can um, kind of form that up for us. But when a company starts up, uh, you know, typically 
in biopharma anyway. Um, a lot of times it's a, it's a market opportunity around an indication, or perhaps it's a, a new piece of, of science, something coming coming out of academia or, you know, a platform uh, that can be adopted um, and, and leveraged to develop a pipeline. Um, but the, the concept, I, I don't, I don't think it's common for a, a startup to have central to its mission, sort of this concept of like, you know, maybe we don't even know what we're going to build yet, but we want to go out there and build something that's accessible. Um, so, so tell me about that. Like how, how did that North star kind of come into, into play at vaccinity? When did it become sort of, well, the North star? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, actually, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Uh, the evolution of vaccinity um, wasn't like a, a eureka moment and similar to the North Star of democratization of health. Um, these are things that, uh, for better or for worse, have been you know evolving over years. Um, so the technology, right? Let's start with that because that's the basis of any, any new biotech company. Yeah. Uh, the technology was originally, you know, it started over two decades ago, came out of Rockefeller University, initially supported by NIH grants. Um, and its first applications was in animal health. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the first company United Biomedical who, who touched this was asked in a different pandemic to see if they could develop a vaccine for, you know, foot and mouth disease for livestock. Um, after it became successful, you know, Lou and I became involved and said, wonder if this can work for humans and how do we prove it out in humans? Um, and through the data, uh, we saw that there was an opportunity to democratize biologics, right? To be able to bring the efficiency of vaccines to chronic disease, which is unique for a vaccine proposition. Mm -hmm. And I think it's as you explore and unpack things that you begin to find your North Star. Sometimes it's cloudy out there. And it's only when the clouds separate that you can find where it is. Um, and so it was only a few years ago that we said, you know, this, this technology has a unique application. And that's where um, kind of the vision of being able to democratize health came about. Uh, and the same thing with vaccinity. You know, it wasn't just one day we, we woke up and said, hey, let's, let's um, start vaccinity. It was a, a big evolution, first from a predecessor company called United Neuroscience, uh, which is the vehicle that we basically explore this platform in chronic diseases for the first time. And we started out with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, very challenging disease areas, but places where we saw massive unmet need and where the vaccine approach was more accepted at the time. Um, and then we started COVAX, uh, like you mentioned, in response to the global pandemic. Um, and when we you know, realized that COVID wasn't going to leave, it was going to be around with us for a while, um, you know, that's when we merged the companies into what is now Vaccinity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I'm not great at packaging things, but that's how things evolve, right? It's about figuring it out in the moment and somehow they, they come, to, you know, they coalesce and, and merge and swerge into uh, where we are today. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, I, I should just note for our listeners uh, benefit when you mentioned Lou, you're speaking of Lou Reese, your, your co-founder and, and husband. Um, can I ask you a personal question about you? Like, at what point did you and Lou become uh, partners, husband and wife? What, which came first? Kind of how, how did that how did that relationship come together? Uh, well, we met originally at Penn, so we've been together for over twenty years. Um, and I think Lou and I are both, um, you know, we we get our hands in a lot of things, and so uh, we're always, you know, for the first time when we met we always wanted to do stuff together. And so I think we've been working in one capacity or another together since um, right after college. Um, so he is my, my partner in crime uh, and we've kind of founded and started everything, um, including vaccinity together. Mm -hmm. is, is Lou a scientist? Neither of us are scientists, Matt. Um, oh. Yeah. He's a, he's a, you know, business school background and, um, I'm a recovering lawyer. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to get back into the technology, but first, since we're there, uh, you're, uh, as I mentioned, Harvard JD, um, Lou's not a scientist. Uh, you went to, was McKinsey right after you earned your, uh, JD? Yeah. Um, so that was my first job out of law school. And what was the, uh, when you went into McKinsey, where, did you go right into the life sciences practice there? 
No, um, I thought about it, but I, I could actually get myself in there. So I ended up uh, working on electric vehicles. Oh, and uh, you know other industrials. So probably the exact opposite. Um, but yeah. At what point um, you said you probably would have would have gone there, but couldn't get yourself in there. And then at, at, at what point, I guess, on the continuum, you know, Harvard, J.D., uh, McKinsey doing some consulting analyst work, uh, electric vehicles. At what point did you go? You know what? Um, life sciences is, is, is where it's at. Um, well, I'm not sure it was a, an active decision, but it turned into a life passion. So might as well evaluate that story. Um, so. You know, while I was at McKinsey, um, Lou's father passed away uh, suddenly on the river, actually, here in Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we ended up, I ended up taking a leave and helping him sort some stuff out. Uh, and from there, things, you know, manifested and I ended up getting myself um, on the investing side. And then an opportunity came up with uh, United Biomedical where they needed help with, um, frankly, a, you know, legal issue. And Lou and I just decided, you know, let's, let's try and lend our services and and help and uh, restructure this. That led to us discovering the technology and um, fast forward, you know, over 10 years now, and that's where vaccinity was born out of. Yeah. That's an interesting story. You know, I always ask these questions as though the the assumption is there was some, to your point earlier, I think you used the word aha moment, right? Like, there's never an aha moment. I, I don't know why I set those questions up that way. Um, well, we, we like to um, package things like that, right? Uh, and there are sometimes aha moments, but they're smaller, generally speaking, or uh, they evolve over time. So it's not like a, a second in time. And, you know, I think this, this if you look back, it, it, uh, it's always interesting how we get to where we are. But um, this was definitely an evolution over many, many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to, uh, I, I want to get back to this conversation around what, um, I guess, set of tools, um, and, and philosophies, if you will, management style, whatever it might be, um, sets vaccinity up for success in the endeavor to democratize, um, access to biologics. Um, and, and to the degree that you can, that, that you're willing uh, to, to share, you know, what those tools look like and what that sort of approach looks like. I obviously, you're not going to share the secret sauce with me if there is secret sauce to be shared because we'll, we'll get in trouble with our, our PR handlers. Um, but any specifics you can offer around, you know, what, as I said, I've had lots of conversations with companies who, you know, I'll give you an example. Not too long ago, I had the CEO of a company on who, um, who is developing, um, uh, I guess, antibodies from, I believe it was antibodies from spirulina, right? Like from, from algae. And, and that approach is like, well, Hey, there's one avenue to democratizing access to biologics by creating biologic therapies from something that is readily available, easy to grow. Obviously there's a whole bunch of steps in between uh, that, that could cost money that could you know, create science. We could encounter scientific barriers to, to making it happen. But the concept is, is super simple. Like if we can create a medicine from something that anyone can effectively grow in a bioreactor, um, that's a great big giant step towards democratization. So, uh, in, in your case, I guess what would be um, so? What would be some parallels to that sort of like theoretic? Like this is how we're going to be able to crack this nut that's been so difficult to crack. It's so expensive. It's so difficult to move it around the world. Uh, so um, conceptually, it's, it's super easy, right? Uh, biologics are, are difficult right now because they're difficult to make. They require these massive bioreactors and capex. Um, they're difficult to take because you know you're passively infusing grams of antibodies often, um, and they're expensive because of that. So what we do is, you know, the vaccine approach just turns your body, everyone's body, into its own little bioreactor. So you become the drug factory. Uh, so we democratize just like Uber in some ways democratize the private driver by making everyone able to be a private driver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vaccinity, the technology makes everyone into its own little biologics factory. Um, you know, conceptually, it's very simple and elegant. Uh, I would say that it's not trivial to, to do it successfully and safely. 
So the trick really, um, you know, we're not the first ones to pursue this, um, but we're the first ones to to see, at least I believe, um, uh, it be able to be done in humans safely and consistently. So the body is super smart. The immune system is so much more advanced than any machine that we've built or that we even understand today. Um, and it has a unique capability um, to protect itself, right? So human evolution uh, says that we shouldn't attack ourselves. And as a result, we don't like to create antibodies against self-proteins. Um, the problem is that as we get older and as we've used medicine to extend our lifespan, you know, into 70s, 80s, 90s, even longer, um, you know, certain biologic processes um, break down. And it's actually the things that our bodies build ourselves that end up killing us, hence chronic diseases. So the challenge with vaccines is, can you get your body to overcome immune tolerance and produce antibody drugs against yourself? And that's what we've been able to show. So uh, hopefully that's where you're, you're thinking about conceptually about why we can democratize health. Um, and then the premise behind it is, um, you know, a little more uh, complicated. Well, yeah. So, and maybe this is where that complication lies. My next question, uh, as you were talking about this vaccine approach, you know, again, I've, I've, I've only been in the space for uh, a couple of few years now, uh, not a scientist, don't have a biologics manufacturing background, but from what I've read and learned uh, over the last couple of years, vaccine, the vaccine space, which, you know, you know, kind of, I got, when I started pre-pandemic, um, I actually had a con I commented to a, a, a sort of an old timer uh, colleague of mine. Uh, the first six months of my of my job, I didn't talk to anyone about vaccines. It was it was before COVID reared its head, and uh, and all of a sudden, um, you know, vaccines were it. Everyone was talking about vaccines, and I asked him, you know, you've been around for a long time, like. Was there ever a time when vaccines were were, were sexy, you know, for, as, for, as a business business proposition? And the response was, and this is going to lead, you know, this is going to lead to my question. The response was, no, not really, you know, not not maybe since uh, I don't know Gardasil made a, a splash back in the day, whatever. Like, um, but the 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 response is basically like vaccines are long development cycles. They're arduous. They're high, you know. Everything's highly regulated, but the regulatory process to 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 take a vaccine to approval was was a long and arduous road. Um, it was ex expensive, right? Like it was it wasn't a darling. Vaccines were not a darling of the investment community because sort of a you know long tail bet. You know there was going to be a quick return on it. Blah blah blah. You know you you get the point. Well, then all of a sudden you know we're faced by faced with a, a global pandemic. Vaccines are the the response, the answer, and and the, and they become cool again. Um, all that is to say, this this concept to you know to to address chronic diseases with vaccine technology. Do any of those things that I just mentioned about why vaccines were not, you know, pop, popular or perhaps well funded or you know discussed much for a long period of time, create challenges uh, to the mission? At, at vaccinity? Um, sure. I mean, I, I'd uh, be silly not to say yes, because there are um, challenges to, to, you know, any drug development. Um, so I guess two, two things. First is the way we conceptualize vaccine is different than the traditional concept, right? Today, mm -hmm. uh, there are no vaccines against chronic diseases licensed. So everything that, that we know about vaccines um, which we consider the first biologic revolution, um, they revolutionized medicine for infectious diseases. So these are all external pathogens, right? Like, like COVID. Um, and when you're preventing something like that, there's thousands, tens of thousands of patients, and you have to you know, run these studies for a long time, or at least long enough that you can see you know, a difference between the, the different placebo and drug arms. Um, you know, most of the applications that we think of in terms of vaccinity are different. They're in a therapeutic um, context um, for biologics, right, for chronic diseases. So our regulatory pathway is actually very similar to a traditional biologic or MAP. Mm -hmm. um, you know, CGRP and PCSK9, these are things for migraine and hypercholesteremia. They're very well-defined endpoints. Like uh, we just go in with the same development plan, very similar as our monoclonal competitor, 
So from that sense, it's it's different. The only one that I would say is is um, challenging. It's not because it's a vaccine, but it's because of the disease state, and that's neurodegeneration. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's are challenging diseases, as we've seen. Yeah. And more and more research is going towards, um, you know, you got to prevent it before uh, symptoms even begin. So when you're thinking of a decade long plus disease um, and preventing it, those are are challenging, uh, you know, what you would call long tails. Yeah. So again, I don't think it's because it's a vaccine as much as um, the fact that the disease is, is difficult. And in fact, vaccines may be the most and best way uh, to attack them, period. When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations like mRNA and cell and gene therapies into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at Cytiva.com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's a, that's a th- thank you for that clarification. Um, and, and also it, it brings to mind another question. Maybe we can talk about this when we talk a little bit more about some of the candidates and, and indications, but um, you know, I, I talk about sort of the, the influence of sort of the, the historical perspective on vaccine development. You did a great job clarifying for me why, why this is different. Then you bring up Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's. And I'm wondering, you know, given the past, I don't know, 12 months, uh, 12 months, I think within 12 months, the news cycle around Aduhelm and, you know, I mean, all we keep doing as a community uh, is is reproving just how difficult Alzheimer's, in particular, is. Right, in 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 terms of the the um, in terms of the approvals that we're seeing around around that indication. So, is is that an uphill battle? I'm just this is sort of a, you give me a quick response. Like the the market, uh, I guess the go to market um, approach on an Alzheimer's drug is do stories like that create an uphill battle? Well, sure. Uh, I would I would uh, be lying if I said that that whole uh, Agilehelm launch didn't you know bring everyone on a roller coaster ride. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, if you think about if that product was launched, uh, let's just say a similar product was launched, but you know you didn't have the safety side effects, and you had a price that wouldn't you know bankrupt the healthcare system. I bet you that the reception and the enthusiasm would be very different. Um, but it's challenging. I mean, I'm not going to uh, beat around the bush. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, they're diseases of the brain. And most of the drugs that we have for the brain, we don't even know what the mechanism of action is. Thankfully, for both of those, there is genetic links, right? Genetics don't lie. We just have to figure out how to develop clinical development plans around that. Um, so I think the targets, you know, I, I'm still a big amyloid fan because uh, I think that genetics ultimately... Um, you know, speak the truth. Uh, and we're just trying to figure out how to, uh, how to show it right in, in a classic research trial. Um, but ultimately, you know, when, when you get on there because the disease is so big, that's actually where democratization matters more. Mm-hmm. Um, I wake up a lot and, and I look at colleagues in, in Alzheimer's and like, there are a lot of people working on it. Right. But no one is working on a treatment that is, with the intention of being able to distribute and make it accessible to everyone that needs it. So that's where we're unique. Um, I think we're also unique because uh, we're probably one of the only ones that can prevent neurodegenerative diseases globally, which is the most important, right? Not only preventing, but being able to make it accessible globally because it's not just a U.S. disease. These things don't discriminate. Right. Um, So I I went off on a tangent, but uh, you gave me permission too early. (laughs) I did. Well, I, I warned you that I would, and I welcomed you to do the same. So, uh, tangent. Welcome to the tangential thinking podcast. I um. So this uh, this gives me, uh, I guess, a couple of segue options. We can either start talking a little bit about um, the candidates themselves. You know what? Let's not do that. I want I want to stick with the with the original intent to learn about the philosophical approach. And the next word that I want to pick on a little bit, not pick on, but just kind of throw out there and uh, gain some understanding around vaccinity's use of is the word revolution. So uh, 
the third biologics revolution is is kind of central to the the mantra there. I see it. I see it uh, time and time again uh, in your um, in your copy. Tell us about that. Like, uh, is this a first of all very very simple kind of name? Is is this acknowledgement that you know vaccines were the first uh, biologic revolution? I think antibodies were the monoclonal antibodies were the second, um, and and that uh, vaccines for chronic disease. Uh, is the third, is this a vaccinity thing or is this some, is this maybe something that's embraced by uh, the, the broader community? Um, I think it's both, right? Okay. Um, I think it, it's, it's hard to challenge the idea that vaccines um, weren't a revolution, right? They are, um, you know, there are now over 20 some vaccine preventable diseases. Over 80% of the world is vaccinated and I would posit that because of the success of vaccines, um, it's contributed to our doubling of our health span, our life expectancy over the last century, just, just over a century. So it's made profound impact um, on human society. Now, because of that success, chronic diseases now kill us more than everything else combined. So like famine, war, uh, bacteria, just like, you know, external um, foes. Uh, now our body itself is killing our, you know, chronic diseases is the, the leading killer everywhere in the world, by the way. Um, and so that's where the second biologic revolution comes in, monoclonals. I mean, they're like the magic drug, right? If, if you can get them, they, they're great. Um, and I think they're, they're a revolution of itself. They're seven of the top 10 selling drugs, you know, ex-COVID. Um, and it's meaningful. Uh, I think it's it's it was a, a real miracle to be able to produce them artificially um, in bioreactors. It's a very complicated process that we figured out how to do. Uh, the challenge, though, as I mentioned before, is that they're they're difficult. They're difficult to to take, difficult to make. They're extremely expensive. I think the average cost uh, of a new biologic is about a hundred thousand dollars a year. So, as a result, um, you know, less than two percent in the U.S. and one percent worldwide are currently on them. So, you know, when we think about the third biologic revolution, it's just combining the two. So bringing the efficiency of vaccines, which are convenient, um, they're affordable. Uh, like I said, 80% of the world uh, has been vaccinated. So um, they reach every end of the earth, okay? Even, even places um, where they don't have electricity, right? Mm-hmm. Or running water, people are vaccinated. Uh, but, you know, taking those and applying them to chronic diseases. I think that's going to be one of the biggest changes in our health expectancy. Um, and the idea also of moving towards prevention of chronic diseases, um, of maintaining our health uh, despite our body you know, breaking down. Um, that's, that's, that's the next frontier. So that's what we mean. That's what I mean when I uh, say the third biologic revolution. Yeah. Um, so follow a question to a point you just made about di- distribution and access, and this is more mm-hmm. of a, more of a sort of technical, uh, question, but what is your, um, what's your approach in terms of supply chain and distribution with the technology that you're working on? You know, I think, and again, you know, we, we need to differentiate between traditional vaccines you know, right now, everybody's thinking about the COVID vaccine and, and cold, cold chain storage, uh, and the challenges therein. um, What's your answer to you know the, the vaccine approach for chronic diseases and chronic conditions and their prevalence globally and your 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 approach to getting um, I guess those therapies distributed? Yeah, so um, we're a vaccine, which which means that uh, we're small doses. Um, they last long, so you don't have to take them all, all the time. Um, and you know, unlike the mRNA stuff, uh, we're at normal cold chain storage. So it's, it's a fortunate thing um, based on the technology. Um, you know, it's enabled by the technology. Uh, but, you know, my goal is to get to every corner, just like a traditional vaccine would be able to get to. Um, pretty much anywhere you can get a cold Diet Coke or fresh flowers, uh, we could deliver our vaccines. Mm. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, put things in context. Um, so back to the rev- revolutionary, uh, th- you know, uh, third biologic re- revolution. Um, discussion one of the one of the other things that strikes me about vaccinities uh, i guess embrace of, of of the revolution concept is just how i guess tightly it seems to be woven into the the corporate culture there 
Uh, and the company's, I mean, you, you know, you've, you've grown as this company has is evolved and, and branched out. It, it's grown considerably. How much, what, what's your headcount now? Oh, we're about a hundred. Yeah. So we're, yeah. We're small, but I, I like it. It's right sized. Right. Yep. And you've got a, you know, you, so a hundred, you've got a, a pretty stout, uh, you know, C-suite, some, some oh. good folks in, in the, ma- on the management team there. Um, but I guess the point I'm making is the perception is, is, is a, as though this, this, you know, democratic democratization revolution culture is, is really, it's really tight there. It, it seems to be on point with, with uh, you know, starting with you and Lou and right on down through the line. Um, that's not an easy thing to maintain. I mean, you know, I'm 47. I've worked for a lot of different companies and I've, I've seen like, I've, I've worked for this one for a long time and I've seen the culture roller coaster. you know, like we're at a really great place right now in this company. Like our culture is terrific, but there was a, there was a time when I, I, I can't say the same. So maintenance of, of any co- company culture is a difficult thing. And when you're as bold as, as vaccinity is to say, we're going to go out there and really change the biologics paradigm. We're going to do something revolutionary. It's got to be difficult. So I'm using a lot of words right now, but you get my point. What's, what's the, uh, what's the secret sauce for you and Lou to um, maintaining momentum there? Um, I think, I don't think there's a secret sauce. It's just, you know, we have a, a very attractive and inspiring mission that we believe in. Um, and we attract people that believe in it also. I mean, this isn't just a job. Right. We don't want uh, you to come here for a paycheck. You can get those lots of places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you want to have to believe that you're part of something bigger. And I think when when people find their greater purpose, um, it stops. You know, it, it's still a job, but it becomes more than a job. Right. It, it um, for me, it, it's life's passion now. Uh, it's grander purpose. And, and there's something really fulfilling about that. Um, but it's hard. Uh, I think relationships are are the hardest part of of life right and they require a tremendous amount of maintenance um and so you know we're out there um talking about it all the time um and uh i think it's it's important um so you know i think it's the most important thing people uh frankly and selecting the right people and building your tribe uh is important and so you know, we're still like a founder-led culture. We're still like a startup culture. Uh, I, I was telling you before, we're out here in Montana and we hold our retreats here and we get everyone off the grid living in teepees and airstreams and bonding and, um, you know, speaking at late night fires and stuff. And and that's, that's the culture, right? Yeah. We want to be, uh, we are different and we're not afraid to be different. Um, in fact, we say that you have to embrace it. Um, so embrace the differences, embrace your eccentricities, um, and enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome and appreciated and understood. Um, at the same time, uh, w- when you create such a unique culture, um, perhaps you open yourself up to the likelihood of, uh, not so great fit, uh, <laughs> maybe more frequently. Sure. Right. So, yeah. Um, because the expectation, so, you know, you, you have this amazing, amazing culture and amazing, uh, you know, approach to maintaining it. Uh, you also have a very, very bold mission and a, I, I can only imagine a, a ton of, of expectation on the people that you are employing to execute on that mission. Like it's not an easy task. You may, may strike me as someone who I would, um, I, I guess I'd classify you as someone, again, I don't, I don't know you super well. <laughs> But you would be incredibly exciting and incredibly challenging to work for. Like you would challenge me. <laughs> I hope so. Right. Like, but 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 because the the mission is so bold. So I, I guess uh, how do you is it does it become challenging sort of for you as the as the CEO to um, find the right people, maintain the right people, and maybe even like let the wrong people know <laughs> you know when they're the wrong people. Uh. So absolutely, um, all of the above. So um, I'm probably a, you know, uh, I, I consider myself like a servant leader. My my biggest calling is is being able to help others do their job um, as best as they can. And I, same thing I tell my kids is like, so long as you're doing your best and you act with integrity, you can never be disappointed in yourself. That's all you can give, right? So that's all one can ask for. Um, again, we have the the fortune of having this North Star. And so if you ever, you know, feeling like, what can I do? Look to the North Star and it'll give you the conviction to do the right thing. 
And so long as you're doing the right thing for the company, um, again, we can't, you know, can't be upset, really. You can be disappointed. Um, things cannot work out. Uh, that happens everywhere. And that's life. So we got to figure out how to deal with the ups and downs. Uh, I think one of the most challenging things is, is also like figuring out when it doesn't work and being okay with it. Right. Um, I think, you know, culture is very funny. Uh, we have a culture book. Um, I, I took the time to write a culture book and it's very important um, to Lou and I that everyone uh, reads it because it's an expression of who we are. Um, but, you know, we don't expect everyone to be the same. In fact, if you look at uh, our team, it's very diverse, but we're all um, coalescing around the mission. Um, so people are, you know, you do those personality charts and they kind of fit all over the place. Um, so we, we try to, to to get a good span. I think uh, diversity of opinion and approach is important. And, and frankly, tension is important. I don't shy away from argument. I grew up, grew up in a very argumentative household. I think respect is one of those things where you tell someone um, what you really think and you don't hold back. That is the true definition of respect if you respect the other person. Um, so, you know, not everyone fits in and, and that's okay. And sometimes it, it can still work. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's hard. It's, it's constant maintenance, um, but it's also exciting. It's also the most enjoyable part. Yeah. So oftentimes there's always two, you know, faces of a coin. So the, the most enjoyable part, which is the people you work with is also, um, you know, uh, the, the thing that you have to invest the most time in also. Yeah. Well, thank you for indulging that, uh, that, that follow-up question. I, I, I probably blindsided you with that one, <laughs> but I appreciate yeah, it's, it. It's, it's fine. Like I said, I don't prepare. Um, so these are just off the cuff. So you're, you're getting what's in my brain for better yeah. or for worse. That's awesome. Um, all right. So I, I want to, uh, in the time that we have left, I, I want to spend some time talking about the candidates, uh, that, uh, that you guys are, are working on, um, maybe get a clinical update on, on, on your candidates. And, um, I don't know, you know, so you've done a good job sort of, uh, giving us a, a, an understanding of what democratization means and how that is being facilitated or, or enabled, uh, at vaccinity. But um, maybe you can just give us a little bit as as we talk about each candidate. Maybe you can just give us a, along with a clinical update or, or preclinical yeah. if there are preclinical candidates. Maybe just a little bit of uh, commentary on on um, I guess the 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 democratized attributes of of those specific candidates. Like how you know how how you intend with those specific candidates to to move that down, yeah. down the field. Um, yeah, we started talking about Alzheimer's. Um, so UB311 is your Alzheimer's vaccine candidate, uh, received FDA fast track designation. Give us an update there. Yeah. So, um, we've finished, uh, two phase, uh, sorry, phase two, uh, in Alzheimer's and, you know, it's, it looks really promising. Um, we're attacking what we think is the right, right target. Uh, these toxic alumgamers, um, before they, you know, try to get to the, the, the thing that's actually causing toxicity in the brain. Um, and so in terms of clinical milestone, uh, we're approved and we have a protocol for uh, the next stage, which we're calling a phase 2B3, you know, um, with the FDA. Um, and in terms of democratization, I mean, what we're looking to do with the program is slow the decline, the cognitive decline, uh, and ultimately slow the onset of actual Alzheimer's. So prevent Alzheimer's before it, you even get there, right? Um, but the democratization aspect is providing it where it can be accessible and convenient to everyone. So one of the things of prevention, and, and this, um, not to jump around, but applies to all neurodegenerative diseases, right? Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Uh, the field has, has moved towards prevention as the most effective way to tackle these. But if you use a traditional monoclonal, it's very challenging. Okay, so imagine you're a healthy 60-year-old and I have this proposition for you. Hey, I want you to go in for the rest of your life once a month and sit there for a couple hours and get infused with this antibody. You know, hey, there might be some side effects like brain swelling, uh, you know, dizziness, confusion. You're healthy, by the way, right? Not showing any symptoms. Um, and by the way, it's going to cost you $50,000 a year. Uh, plus infusion costs. You'd be like, what? I mean, yeah, I'll, roll the no. dice. I'll roll the dice. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. 
But when you move it to a vaccine, right, it's like the proposition changes. It's, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to ask you to go in like once a year, maybe once a quarter and take something like a flu shot. You might even be able to get it at your local pharmacy, right? Um, it's safe. You know, you're not going to feel anything really. Um, but it's going to be working in your brain um, to prevent, you know, the, these toxic proteins from forming. And guess what? Like, it's nominal. Uh, I don't even want to put a price on it, but it's completely affordable, right? Less than, less than your deductible. That's a much more palatable proposition for both the patient as well as the healthcare system, mm-hmm. right? And so that's where the democratization aspect comes from. Because of the technology, we're able to attack this Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease in a different way and make it accessible to everyone. So, yeah, very good. Um, and what's the, so that's a fast track designation. You said you're going into phase two, two B. Yeah. Two B. So it's a um, well-powered efficacy study um, basically to, to show that we can um, reproduce the results that we had in our last phase two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other, you know, the, the phase two A, we showed awesome promising data that we can slow cognitive decline by 50%. Um, but uh, we want to do it in large numbers. So that's the idea. Um, and, you know, I think the safety is going to be important. Uh, the efficacy is important and uh, not to bounce around, but I'd like to bucket them. Uh, we're in our Parkinson's trial right now. We're just finishing up our, our phase one part B in actual patients. And the goal there is to show that one, it's safe, but th- that the vaccine does what we intend it to do, which is get your body to be a bioreactor, develop these antibodies against really specific, you know, toxic proteins in your brain that can cross the blood brain barrier into the CSF where, where this action's happening um, and that we can do it safely. So and that's you, UB three twelve, the Parkinson's candidate, correct? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're trying to get better at naming. But yeah. yeah. Well, no, I just, I, you know, I, I figured I'd throw it out there for, for reference in case anyone wants to do any follow-up research on, on these candidates. Um, and then you, you still got the, the COVID-19 booster candidate. Is that, so that's UB612. Is that a COVID-19 booster? Is that like a, a, a remnant or a carry on from the COVAX days? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same um, product that we uh, started developing COVAX. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a heterologous booster, right? Um, and the, the trial, we're in a phase three platform, global platform trial. Um, the idea is we're showing that we can boost other technologies. So we can boost mRNA vaccines. If you had an AZ vaccine, we could boost that. If you've had it inactivated, like Sinovac, Sinopharm, we can boost that. So we're showing that we could basically be a universal booster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why does it matter? It's because COVID's still out there. A uh, number of reasons. COVID's you know, still out there. It's probably not going to leave us. We're already getting into this mindset of you know, regular boosters. Uh, and there are some key differentiators for a vaccine. Um, the one that I think is super important um, that you know, time will tell is, is safety, right? Ours don't really have that same reactogenicity. It doesn't get you flu-like symptoms. It's you know, less than 10% of people get these systemic responses like, um, like putting you out for the day. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes a difference, um, you know, and from the efficacy side, we seem to have really good resilience against mutations. So, you know, we tested against alpha, beta, delta, gamma, omicron, omicron two, and we get really nice, uh, responses. And it's probably because of the regions that we're selecting are conserved. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then lastly is distributability. Right. I think we mentioned before, but we want to be able to get to every corner um, of the world that needs it. So, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Those are yeah all, all important points, uh, particularly around, you know, patient patient response um, and and those those mutations. I mean, they yeah. just keep coming. I, I, uh, I was recently on a family vacation to Florida and I came home and I was ill. It turned out it wasn't COVID, but I was so convinced that, uh, you know, it was some new mutation from, uh, you know, from, from Florida where mutation seems up. <laughs> yeah. You know, one other thing that I forgot to mention is actually durability is important. Yeah. Right? So it's not just that we're, we're protecting against mutations, but that we do it for you know a reasonable period of time. So the data will tell, but our initial data seems like, um, we got, you know, pretty long durability, probably, you know, uh, twice as much as mRNA, maybe three, 
even longer than the other one. So um, it would be nice if we didn't have to go in all the time and be worrying all the time. Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Booster fatigue is, is real and it's not, you know, it's not going to go away. So durability is important. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And then, um, okay. So then, then there are a couple others, uh, UB313 for migraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you want to talk about that or the, uh, yeah. uh, the PC SK9 program? You tell me what, what other programs are you? These are about? awesome programs. Um, and they don't, they haven't gotten as much, uh, you know, light, but they're, um, you know, some of my favorite, um, you know, everyone says that they don't have a favorite child, but they have, um, you know, the children, you know, uh, are exceptional for different reasons. Yeah. So CGRP and PCSK9 are the essence of democratization because, uh, and the displacement of monoclonal antibodies. Okay. So both of these programs have approved monoclonals on the market, but they're expensive. Um, and they're, as a result, they're, they're, none of them are first line treatments, right? So for migraine, um, and for both of these, we go head to head, uh, with the monoclonals in our, in our studies, and we want to make sure that we have similar efficacy as them, but the difference, the democratization aspect, uh, is that we can produce them at a fraction of the cost. So our cost of goods is like 1% or less, uh, than a monoclonal, mm. um, and they become very convenient. So rather than, you know, self-injecting every month or um, even going in for infusions, uh, this is like an IM injection, just like a flu shot, right? And they last a long time. So the durability, uh, it's like a long-acting biologic. So they're, they're convenient to patients. Um, and that's where the real accessibility comes in. So uh, ultimately, um, you know, that's where we think we have this, this major advantage. And we want them to become the first choice. So for UB313, which is our migraine, we want it to become the first choice for migraine sufferers around the world uh, you know, to reclaim their lives. Um, and we want to be able to bring the beauty of the CGRP mechanism, which is currently only available to you know, US and developed world, to the rest of the world, because migraine is everywhere. With PCSK9, um, I don't know how much you know about this, but this is one of the most uh, consistent biologies at reducing cholesterol which has shown to be able to ultimately um, reduce, you know, cardiac events and death. So imagine being able to vaccinate the world against heart attack and stroke, right? As a first line treatment to be able to go out there and, you know, improve the convenience off of statins and, you know, match them or even beat them on price. You can vaccinate the world against heart attack and stroke and eliminate, you know, majority of, of heart disease, which is still our leading killer, which is crazy because we know how to eliminate it. So that's why I get super pumped up about these two programs. Um, the biology is already well understood. So the probability of success is super high, um, but we're just coming in with a different technology, a different approach that is really uh, harnessing this, this democratization aspect. Yeah. 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 You, uh, I, I don't get the sense that you get too excited about the little stuff. I mean, not, 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 I don't mean that in a, in a, in a critical way, but like you, uh, it, it's clear to me that may may who is, uh, excited by big, big challenges that, 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 uh, that need to be addressed. Like the, the big picture stuff. Well, I get excited by all sorts of stuff, but yeah, the, the big picture stuff is the stuff that challenges me all the time. So, yeah. um, yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it's a thing that requires a team. So, um, it's just fun. You know, it's, it's fun to be challenged every day and it's fun to, to be working on something that is so much larger than yourself that you can never figure out all by yourself. And so it's constantly a, a puzzle and, um, keeps life interesting. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been all over, I've taken you all over the map in, in this conversation. You know, I keep shifting gears. I keep having those ooh shiny moments where I, I, you know, take us off track. Um, what, what have I, what have I missed? What I, what have I failed to ask you, uh, that's important to the vaccinity story that you might want to want to conclude with to make sure that you get across. Oh, I, th- I think you've done an awesome job. I love just the authenticity of the conversation of just like, you know, you know, going back and forth. Um, you know, our story is pretty simple at the end of the day. And it's, you know, I, I hate to beat it again. It's just, it's democratizing health and through technology, right? Um, technology has enabled 
every major transformation in history. So to think that it's not going to be a, a technology that does that again is crazy. And I acknowledge that what we're doing is bold and lots of people say it's crazy. It's, it's an unorthodox business model, especially in biotech, um, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. Yeah. So our biggest challenge is, is um, sharing the story and showing people that um, it's possible uh, and that it makes sense and that it's worth doing. And so I thank you for, you know, this conversation allowing um, another platform to kind of show that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm I'm happy to. Like I said, I was intrigued uh, by you and and your leadership style and your company and and the work that you and Lou are doing. Um, you know, a couple couple of years ago when uh, it was it was Rob Wright who I think he did like an executive virtual roundtable featuring you. Uh, and then, uh, as I may have noted, I don't know if I noted it while we were recording or not, but if if listeners are interested in Vaccinity and and Maymay and the work that she and Lou are doing, um, they were featured. Uh, on the cover of Life Science Leader, I don't recall off the top of my head exactly what episode or uh, what uh, what issue that was, but it was, I think, within the last year. Life Science Leader cover story. Yeah, it was last year sometime. Yeah, yeah. So check that out. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you for entertaining my my question set. I I, I do want to have you back uh, on the show again because you know as you were talking, I kept on coming up with follow up questions that perhaps. Uh, would take us down into a different world that would warrant their own 40 minute or 50 minute conversation, like around, around uh, financing and fundraising, for instance, Mm -hmm. in your IPO, because when you do unorthodox things and have great big visions, um, you know, it takes a certain kind of uh, invest investment community to get behind that. And I want to learn more about that, how you've kind of gone down that path, but not right now. So don't, I'm going to just throw that teaser out there and be back on the show at some point when you're, when you're ready to talk about that, but um, I enjoyed it as well. I appreciate the time. Uh, we'll be paying attention to you guys. And, and as I said, hopefully catch up with you again soon. Awesome. I'd love to. And um, anytime. So that's Vaccinity CEO, May May Hu. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online uh, in partnership with Cytiva, whose commitment to emerging biopharma innovation is on full display at Cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Check us out at bioprocessonline.com where I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, And if you enjoy the business of biotech and you like hearing from the leaders of the companies that are innovating in biopharma, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. And as always, thanks for listening. 